Frequency is for open-minded thinkers, for observers who are hopelessly curious, for experiencers of the mysterious, and for those who are passionate about perceiving the unknown. I will be sharing with you all my own exceptional experiences and other extraordinary constructs that exist in our reality. Welcome to Access Elysium. What's up and welcome to all of you beautiful souls out there. I'm your host, Amber O'Dell, and this is the Access Elysium podcast. So today, yeah, I don't know. I was trying to figure out uh, what kind of wave I wanted to ride, and I've come up with pretty fun stuff. But you know what I do need to do is, I guess, every once in a while, I have to encourage everyone, share podcast, tell other weirdos. That way I can get some more downloads and I can do more podcasting. I love this stuff. So let's dive right into it. Have you ever wondered what lies beyond this realm in the darkness and emptiness of nothing? Well, if you have, (laughs) you and I are wondering this together. So coming up on the show today, we're going to dive into philosophical concepts of the void, near-death experiences inside the void, and cosmic voids that are actually all around us. So what the fuck is the void? I have contemplated this since I was a kid because I felt like I found the void when I was kind of young. And I found a few different voids and they're kind of weird and mystical and super creepy, like the creepiest things that I've ever probably run into. And one of them was just like this space inside of another space. It's really hard to describe. I found it when I was taking a nap as a kid in my mind, and it was this place that just had nothing. And I was like, ooh, what's over there? You know, when you're kind of in that half in between a sleep and awake state, and it was just emptiness, and there was nothing there. It was blackness and darkness, but then beyond that, the blackness and the darkness didn't even exist. It was very scary and depressing feeling at first, and I was like, ooh, no, I don't think I want to go in there. I was not prepared to be able to go into the void uh, at a younger age. And I think now I would be much better equipped to go back into the void because it's a completely different thing for each person. And really all it is, is like a mirror reflection back at you without the reflection. It's, it gets deep, but so we're going to go with good old Wikipedia for a second Because they tell us that the void is the philosophical concept of nothingness manifested. That's kind of a weird concept to think of nothingness manifested. But here again, I will refer back to my favorite childhood movie of The NeverEnding Story. And when the nothing comes for you, it was also a very sad, depressing thing because it was going to take everything and anyone's like remembrance of you, you are going to be gone forever. And the notion of the void is very relevant in several realms of the metaphysics. So the void is also 
prevalent in numerous facets of psychology called nobility logotherapy. (laughs) I think that's what it's called. Logotherapy was developed by a neuroscientist and a psychiatrist, Victor Frank, and is based on the premises that the primary motivational force of an individual is to find a meaning in life. I agree. Like, it's much easier to have a fulfilled life if you try to put any meaning to it. Just anything. Just pick anything. And you will be amazed as to how it drives you to stay alive. So rather than power or pleasure, logotherapy is founded upon the belief that striving to find meaning in life is the primary, most powerful, motivating, and driving force in humans. So the manifestation of nothingness is closely associated with the contemplation of nothingness and humans will attempt to identify and personify it. But what I found in Britannica.com slash topic slash emptiness is very interesting. They say emptiness, also called nothingness or void in mysticism and religion, a state of pure consciousness in which the mind has been emptied of all particular objects and images. So this is this is very different. Also, it's the undifferentiated reality, which is a world without like distinctions and multiplicity or quality of reality that the emptied mind reflects or manifests. So much words. <laughs> But I think what they're saying is that what the void is here is when your mind is completely separated and it no longer is filled with all of the voices and all of the objects and images like you have cleared your mind completely into the void. So fascinating. So the concept has appeared prominently in mystical thought in many historical periods and parts of the world. The emptying of the mind and the attainment of an undifferentiated unity is the theme that runs through mystical literature from ancient Indian meditations to modern Western mystic work. So there are lots of religions that have this space that they talk about that is empty inside their mystical belief systems. There's so many different concepts of it, from Jewish concepts to Taoism to Buddhism. Um, I think that Buddhism has the one that talks about it the most. It's like the most fully developed um, emptiness in their traditions of religious texts. So it's also affected all kinds of modern Western concepts as well. So a good deal of the 19th and 20th century in Western America, literature has been concerned with emptiness. Like they started to have a type of existential philosophy. And it was in the form of death of God movement. What is this? Okay. So these people started going into the concepts of nothingness, emptiness, voids, freaking themselves out. And it's a good place to go if you want to freak yourself out. But it's a place to go that you should learn from it. And some people come out of it with a lot more controversy than before they went into it. So the Death of God movement, a radical Christian theological school, mainly Protestant, uh, arose in the United States during the 1960s, evoking controversy. So is the idea that 
belief in God is impossible or meaningless in the modern world and that fulfillment is to be found in secular life. What the fuck does that mean? (laughs) So secular. Secular is like a non-spiritual physical world, not in the spiritual world, not religious, not related to anything um, or controlled by the government or by the church. It's on its own. So they think that the idea that the belief in God is impossible and meaningless because your fulfillment is to be found in a non-spiritual way. How do you, how is this a, <laughs> a religion if you're not supposed to be religious? I don't know. I'm going to have to dig more into this death of God cult people and see what they're trying to get into. I mean, is this like the atheist style where, you know, there's uh, nothing afterwards? Is this like the first attempt at atheism? I don't know. But I found on neardeath.com slash void. Oh, man, there is some really good stuff in here with near-death experiences and the void. So there's lots of near-death testimonies that involve the experiencer entertaining a realm commonly known in metaphysical literature as the void. So we're going to discuss the nature of this realm to give everybody an understanding of its purpose and how to deal with it after death. Great. Thanks. I love this. The general consensus among near-death testimonies is that the void is a realm of complete and profound darkness, empty of everything except for thought and emotional patterns of those who enter it. Oh, okay. So the only thing that they're saying is going to exist there is your own thought and your own emotional patterns. It says the void is a perfect place for experiencers to examine themselves, contemplate their recent earth experience, and decide where they want to go next. So for some experiencers, the void is a beautiful and heavenly realm because in the absence of all else, they are able to perfectly see the love and light within themselves. So they create this space based on the own love and light that they brought into the void that created it. So for other experiencers, the void is terrifying, confusing, horrible hell, (laughs) because in the absence of everything, they are temporarily unable to see the love and light within themselves. For this reason, the void also acts as a heavenly timeout. It's like a little, little timeout where the experiencer is forced to look within themselves. Ooh. I mean, is this is what everybody's talking about when you get all judgy judgy and you get like a flashback of your life when you have a near death experience I don't know but they say there is no judgment huh nope it's not it there's no judgment in the void except the possibility of self-condemnation a harsher form of self-understanding yeah let me tell you people there's nobody out there who is probably worse on you than yourself and your own thoughts so all the judgments that you think are happening are probably just happening to yourself by yourself. In the end, nobody gives a shit. You're the one who's probably giving yourself the hardest time. And this is what happens to those who go into it and are forced to look at themselves and their feelings. Ah, is this where I was at when I was a kid? And I went, I don't know. I felt like I was pretty, pretty nonchalant about things. 
when I was a kid. I was just open. But I think just, yeah, the whole lack of love and light maybe freaked me out a little bit. But the void is also been understood as a process of ego death, where the mask of the personality is dissolved to allow the individuality of the soul to be experienced in relation to the whole of everything that is God, like everything that exists, the universe, the stars, all the things is God. And we are too. We're just a little piece of it. So when you let go of your ego death, ooh, I wonder if this is like you can go to the void to have a time out, to shed your ego death, to humble yourself, to find your love and light. But what happens if you go in there and that's not what happens? Well, they say here, the summary of insights concerning the void. So some near-death experiencers travel very quickly through the void by means of the tunnel and on higher realms. Ah, so the tunnel goes through the void. Interesting. Other experiencers, particularly those who have developed a strong attraction for some earthly desire, may instead enter a lower realm called the earthbound realm in a vain attempt to re-enter earth. Oh, so these are the ones that don't want to go. They're like, no, 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 no. And they get stuck in the lower realms, the earthbound realm, trying to get back in. Okay. But many near-death experiencers, you, as you'll see coming up here, um, enter the void immediately after death, like bam in the void. And from there, they then enter the tunnel towards the light in the next heavenly realm. And other experiencers remain in the void for one reason or another until they are ready to leave it. Is this void like a combination of whatever Christians think purgatory or like, what is exactly who all can get in? How many levels to this building? Where can you get in and out? How do you travel around? Well, for some souls, the time spent in the void may feel like only a moment. For others, it seems like an eternity. So if you went to the void and you thought you were going to hell because you were just seeing all of the bad energy that you were holding on to and you hadn't gone through your ego death yet and it felt like forever, you might think that's hell forever. But it's not. <laughs> it's just a moment. Nothing's forever except for love. Um, well, this is because the nature of the void is for contemplation. It's different for everyone. Once the soul is ready, the light appears and the tunnel takes them into a higher realm. For souls who either refuse the light or have spent a lifetime ignoring the light within themselves, ew, like when you're alive and you do bad things, it may take them what seems like an eternity before they are ready to move on. The problem for some souls is they prefer darkness rather than the light for some reason or another. Hmm. I mean, I like the darkness sometimes. It's a, it's a nice, quiet, calm place to be sometimes. Sometimes the light is noisy and hectic, full of stuff. Sometimes you just need calm. But for some of these souls, their only hope is reincarnation. What? This is because it's not possible for any soul to be confined in the earthbound and void and void realms forever. See? Nothing's forever. So if you linger around long enough, what, they boot you back out? You got to restart and you're reincarnated. Well, I mean, <laughs> this is awesome. Um, the void is 
not punishment. This is not where you're like, you get rewarded or punished for all the things that you do. I don't, I don't feel like it works like that. So like what? You are a super awesome human and then you just expect to start off better in a better place than any other human that's making it through the process. I mean, I get it. That's kind of how it happens here sometimes. A lot of people are born into a better situation than others, but I still think that's a choice. I think you sometimes decided that before you got here. So I don't know how rewarded or punished you are for anything. I think it's just an understanding of learning. So the void is not punishment. It is the perfect place for all souls to see themselves and to purge themselves from all illusions. For other souls who are too self-absorbed in their own misery to see the light, there are a multitude of beings of light nearby to help them when they freely choose to seek them. What? This is awesome. So are these like your guardian angels that everybody's talking about? The nature of love and light is such that it cannot be forced upon people who don't want it. Choosing love and light over darkness is the key to being freed from the void. The moment the choice is made, the light and tunnel appears and the soul is drawn into higher realms. This is so exciting. So just choose love and light. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy. (laughs) I'm already doing that. So what's the nature of this void? You know, like... Where did this come from? Is this the in-between? Is this the upside down to the upside down before you get into the right side up? Well, as mentioned earlier, nothing exists in the void except your own thought and emotional patterns. So within this dark emptiness, your ego is stripped away. So your thoughts and your emotional patterns are your ego. It's what was created for you to be able to understand and survive in your environment. And you don't need that anymore, apparently, when you die and you got to strip it away and let it go before you can move on to the next one. So thoughts and emotions. So if you hold on to some of your thoughts and emotions, like you don't strip all of it away, you just keep in some of it. Is that how like you have to, if you get reincarnated because you didn't let go, that's how you have a connection still to all these things? I mean, but that sounds fun too. How many things can you hold on to and be reincarnated with to where you have so many (laughs) extra coins in your pocket? to play the game this time. I don't know. That's how I think of it. But so the following is PMH Atwater's explanation of the nature of the void. So this person Atwater's is, this is what they have to say. My dining room below was slowly but surely merging into another kind of space coming down from a source past my ceiling. These two spaces or dimensions of space were merging into each other, but I was not moving. I did not change positions in any way. I was where I was, but the world around me was changing and shifting and becoming something else. My dining room faded from sight as this new space became more visible and more real. It was like nothing I'd ever seen before. It encompassed me. The new space was both totally bright and totally dark at the same time, yet without shape, form, sound, color, mass, or movement. It was a glow, but there was no light source. It was dark, but there was no darkness. Somehow within this strange environment was the presence of all shapes, all forms, all sound, all color, all mass, and all 
movement. Everything that ever was, is, or will be was there, yet there was nothing there at all. It was everything and it was nothing. Yet within it was a feeling, a pulse, a sensation of energy, winking, off and on, a sparkling potential which shimmered just as jello does before it responds to touch. I called it the void, for lack of a better term or idea. It was comfortable enough, so within its crammed nothingness, I proceeded with my experiments. So at this point, Atwater experiments in the void by creating images such as a house with her mind, and then she's she's visited by a deceased relative and Jesus, and afterwards she finds herself back in the void. This sounds amazing. She says, I was now alone in this non-place and there was nothing. For the first time, I looked upon myself to see what possible form or shape I might have. And to my surprise and joy, I had no shape or form at all. I was not but a sparkle of pure consciousness, the tiniest, most minuscule spark of light imaginable. And that is all I was. I was content that way without ego or identity pure, whole, and uncomplicated. Within that nothingness I had become, I simply existed, ecstatic in perfect bliss and peace, like perfection itself and perfect love. Everywhere around me were sparkles like myself, billions and trillions of them, winking and blinking like on and off lights, pulsating from some unknown source. I would have existed in that state of bliss forever had an irritation not made myself known like an old sore deep from within me. Then energy waves burst forth from the deep old sore, and with them came the life of Phyllis, playing itself out from birth to death. And at this point, Atwater experiences a life review. See, there is a life review. So she shed her ego first to where she became so blissfully content in perfection And then that's when she had this little wave that hit her that she needed to review her life as Phyllis real quick. Like, okay, there's so much more here that these near-death experience people are having. And this is fascinating. So some of the craziest things, though, that I have to come to terms with this is that there is no love in the void. There's no light in the void. And those two things I feel are so important to the creation of anything. So if there's a place that it doesn't exist, that's kind of scary. What happens? I mean, they say the void is not forever. It's just a moment. It's to shed all the things so that you can become one with yourself in the universe. But that means if there is no love there, you have to bring it there. What? So the only love that exists in the void is the love you bring into it. The void itself has no love or light. And because of this, you the only way to leave the void and enter the higher realms is by choosing love. The moment love is desired, the light appears as if summoned. Most near-death accounts describe very brief encounters with the void like if any at all. And most people choose love over darkness. And so they can get out of there quite quickly. So here are some accounts that describe the loveless nature 
of the void. <laughs> okay. So first one is from Reverend Howard Pittman. He says, while in second heaven or the void, Howard Pittman felt an overwhelming oppressive feeling and wondered what was causing it. He was told that it is because there is no love there. Yikes. And Robert Monroe said, in the void, your only source of stimulation will be your own thoughts. So an interesting thing that Mel and Thomas Benedict learned while in the void was that God was not there. Ha! <laughs> not even God hangs out in the void. It's nothing. What does that mean? If God's not even in the void? If God is everything, how could it not be in the void? So that means that there is a nothing God? <laughs> is there an everything God and a nothing God? Because if God wasn't there, oh, okay, let's go further into this. All right, he says, God is here on earth. That's what it is all about. Humanity's constant search for God outside of this world doesn't need to happen. Everything is here. We are God's exploration of God through us. People are so busy trying to become God that they ought to realize that we are already God and God is becoming us as we are becoming God. And that's what it's really all about. It's all here. So if you leave here and you go to the void, there's no God. What? This just opens up so many more uh, questions for me than answers. Because now light doesn't even exist in the void. So light and love is God. Yeah. I feel like that's such a simple, great, perfect statement. Because of this, God's influence in the void is limited because darkness rules in the void. In the same manner, the influence of darkness or spiritual ignorance on earth is limited because the light rules on earth and light cannot be forced upon people. But once light and love is chosen by the soul, the soul's stay in the void is ended. Goodbye you can leave. The problem is that many souls have not realized divine love and light within themselves while on earth, and this makes it difficult to leave the void. Okay, so if they didn't find it here, they're going to have a really hard time finding it in the void. But guess what's not in the void? <laughs> Anything. <laughs> so how can you find it? You have to bring it. Oh, so interesting. What am I bringing with me next time? <laughs> So the following description is of the void from the revelations of Edgar Cayce, who referred to the void as outer darkness. He says, after death, we may enter a region that is void of love, life, and light, void of everything. For some, this region is approximately their wish come true. Here, they are truly alone with themselves. For some souls, this is a pain that is unbearable. In the absence of truth, love, gentleness, and kindness, some souls fill the void with an irrational and unbelievable amount of pain and fear. It is so dark in the realm of outer darkness that the darkness hurts and panic grips them without knowing why. There are various degrees of darkness to this realm, and it is darker and denser at the center than at the outer fringes. The closer we are to the outer edges, the more interaction there is with others in the realm. There's other people there, but I thought that we were the only ones. I don't know. Okay. 
The closer to the center, the darker and more painful is the solitude. Those who find themselves in outer darkness cannot travel across this dimension. They must grow through the levels of this realm. After death, one may find themselves in a particular degree of darkness that most closely corresponds to the degree of the absence of love in one's life. Outer darkness is not a punishment. It is a region which operates lawfully for the benefit of those who are there. This region is not a realm which was created for any soul to experience, but one which came about as a consequence of the negative activity of souls in creation. What? It was created out of a consequence, but in the consequence, there's no judgment. I get it. Maybe. Okay. It was created to help us to shed our judgment at a consequence of us being assholes. Okay. Well, now I want to know more about these beings of light that are near the void that you can kind of reach out to that are there to help you. So near-death accounts involve the experiencer observing beings of light near the void ready to help. This is awesome. Souls in the void are unaware that beings of light are all around them until they decide they need God's help. Wait a minute. Okay, are they actually in the void or they're just close around? It says near the void. So all these little light beings are hanging out around the void and they're ready to help once you ask for their help. So Margaret Tweddle says there are souls called the shining ones who dedicate themselves to going into this dark realm and bringing spiritual light. The souls who are dedicated to this work of rehabilitation are clothed in protective garments so that they are not harmed or pierced by the dagger-like thoughts of hatred, which those in the dark realms are throwing out. Wow. This sounds like real crazy job. Uh, the shining ones are not allowed to go and talk to these people, but they stand nearby and call to them through thought, prayer, if you like. And the moment the souls in this dark area respond in a positive way, the ones who have come to help are able to bring them out into a less dense foggy world or eventually out into this realm of light. What? Okay. The shining ones picked a job to help all these people that are hanging out in the dark realm of the void, just shedding themselves of horrible, shitty thoughts. And so they have to wear protective clothing to keep themselves from getting pierced by the daggers of hatred thoughts that are just flying out of these people inside of this realm. This is like like high hazard pay type job, <laughs> I would assume. And then they're, they're just waiting for somebody to have a loving light thought and then they swoop in and they got you and they can help you out. This is crazy. I love this. So a lot of religious traditions include the void and it has different names. So there's purgatory, hell, outer darkness, prison. I don't know how to say this one. Gehemon, Shoel, the abyss, the Anar, the Predilaka. 
the fu- I don't know how to say any of these, but the Tibetan Buddhist Book of the Dead teaches that once awareness is freed from the body, it creates its own reality as one would experience in a dream. The clear light of the ultimate reality appears and the deceased must embrace the supreme experience, not in a selfish and egotistic way, but rather with love and compassion for everyone. The deceased must then realize that his own self is one with this light in order to attain nirvana. If the deceased responds with fear, it is still not liberated and will descend into the second phase or the void where peaceful deities appear. If liberation is not attained at this time, then the peaceful deities turn into wrathful deities. It is important in this realm to recognize the voidness of all beings as a projection of their own mind. What did it just say? If you're not playing nice and you decide that you want to be ascended into a peaceful deity, they will come back and get you. (laughs) And they will become wrathful deities. Wow. Okay. So the Bible talks about this too. It says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. John 319 21. So here's what I think. Can you really be all one or all the other? Because... If you choose darkness, that means you hate the light. I don't think so. I choose darkness sometimes. And I guess my darkness isn't like evil is what they're talking about. But I still think that you can like do a bad thing and that's not who you are. Like that was a moment and you could be a very loving light person. You just have to grow out of that bad thing and shed it in the void apparently before you move on so how do you get out of the void here is some tips to escape the void escaping from the void is very easy for some souls and difficult for others various near-death accounts provide a wealth of information on how to escape from the void here is a list of them for you love sets you free from the void ding 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 that's my favorite one. Um, number two, the light sets you free from the void. Oh, that's a hard second for me. Um, another one, your faith sets you free from the void. This is beautiful things to bring into the void. Uh, beans of light set you free from the void. Ah, oh, this is so great. And reincarnation sets you free from the void. What? Okay. When does reincarnation happen? Like, how long do you have to be in there? Like, is it a decision you make for yourself? Obviously. That's what they're trying to say this whole time. All these decisions you make for yourself. So you choose to go back down and reincarnate. Okay. Well, how do you make that decision? Oh, wow. So this explains it a little bit differently here. So this says, the void is a spiritual dimension that exists within us. Ooh, it's not outside of us. Like you're not 
leaving yourself and going somewhere else. It is within you. It's inside of you. Okay. During our lives, we may fill this void with many things such as love, hatred, happiness, sadness, knowledge, ignorance, family. And when we die, we actually step into this spiritual dimension that we have filled ourselves. Whatever we fill the void within us at death, we enter into it. What? Perhaps this is one good reason why the most important aspect of our missions in life is to have to, it has to do with love. Like, yeah, I agree. So realizing and cultivating divine love within our void and sharing this love with others during our life will create a heavenly paradise that will be manifested in death. Ha! I like this. See, this is where you get into the whole, you create your own heaven and hell. There's not just a heaven and a hell that is waiting for you to show up. No, you get to create it yourself. So all these different belief systems and all these different religions are all creating different voids for themselves. There are questions as to whether the void is truly nothing or if it is in fact filled with other things, with theories of ether being suggested in the 18th century to fill the void. So they decided that there has to be something in there. It's not a nothing. There has to be something. Or does there? So atomic physics, according to Paul Brutton, has proven that the world derives from a mysterious nothing. We come from nothing. So what if all of our existence came from the void? So if anything happened in the void, it would have to have been brought into the void by somebody else who brought something to the void to create our reality. Well, don't panic because cosmic voids are actually all around us. So I found on the Atlantic.com slash science slash home sweet void, they say, imagine an especially holy block of Swiss cheese. And you have a pretty good visual for the leading theory for the structure of the universe. Voids, vast expanses of nearly empty space account for 80% of the observable universe. 80%. Of the entire universe that we can see is nothing. <laughs> That's a lot. It's a lot of nothing. The other stuff like dust and stars and galaxies like the Milky Way exist in thread-like filaments between these voids. As the universe expanded, gravity drew matter into clumps, leaving behind cavernous spheres. These empty regions can measure hundreds of millions of light years across. So according to researchers at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, our very own Milky Way galaxy may float near the center of one of these voids. Using data from large scale telescope surveys that count galaxies, the researchers concluded that the Milky Way exits near the center of a region that has fewer galaxies than other parts of the universe. So pretty much they're saying we're like out in the middle of nowhere. They estimated the size of this void that's near us to have a radius of about one billion light years. And if they're right, humans are living in the middle of the largest known void in the observable universe. So out of all the things in the universe, we have the biggest freaking void right next to us. Wow. Nothing is by coincidence. Why is the biggest void in the universe right next to us humans? Hmm. 
because the void was created by us as a consequence of our actions and we need to go there to shed so we have a really big void next to all of us humans so we can go in there and shed all the crazy shit that happens to us. (laughs) Is that why it's the biggest one? Well, researchers first advanced this idea in 2013, but now they took it a step further in findings presented at a meeting of the American Astronomical Society in Austin. The Milky Way's place inside a void, they said, would help explain a question in the way astronomers measure how fast the universe is expanding. The universe has been expanding ever since the Big Bang some people think, more than 13 billion years ago. And evidence suggests its expansion rate is accelerating. They think it's getting faster. We are expanding faster and faster away from where we started, is the theory. So there is, however, dispute about this precise rate of expansion. They don't know really how fast it is getting faster. So some astronomers observe bright objects like supernova in the nearby cosmic neighborhood, studying their light to determine how fast they're moving away from Earth. And others peer deeper into the universe's history and study the cosmic microwave background, the radiation left over from the Big Bang that fills the universe to this day. So different measurements yield different results. And the measurement from the local universe turn out to be higher than those from the early universe far away. So astronomers don't know whether this discrepancies are a result of the static fluctuations or some kind of new, completely new physics that we don't understand yet. But if the Milky Way were in a void, the difference in these results would make sense because if you're living inside this void, you're going to see things being pulled away from you towards the more dense regions of the universe. So if you're sitting in this void, your surroundings expand faster than the rest of the universe. From this vantage point, observers would calculate a higher rate of expansion compared to what they would find in the distance like the early universe that was there before, like they do now. So try to simplify this for you. If you are just chilling in a void, let's just say your bedroom is a void. So all the things that are closest to you are going to be expanding out from you way faster than all the things that are further away from you, which seems kind of crazy. You would think that the things away from you have already expanded fast enough and they'd be going faster, but no, it's the things closest to you that are going faster than the things that are further away from you kind of shit is this? (laughs) What does that mean? So voids are accounting for our movements in time. (sighs) This is so fascinating. Well, there's this one weird creepy thing that I know has happened to me before. I'm sure it's happened to other people. Um, Not everybody. But there's this thing called call of the void. And it goes a little something like this. I found on healthline.com slash call of the void. It says, have you ever stood on a roof or a bridge or a ledge or any other high place and wondered, what if I jumped? This urge probably came out of nowhere and disappeared as swiftly as it arrived. Turns out this urge has a name. It's called the call of the void. And it describes this impulse to hurl yourself into, well, avoid. So while unnerving, it's actually a pretty common experience. It also has nothing to do with suicidal ideation. It's like 
people who aren't suicidal get these feelings. It's not like if you have this feeling, you want to commit suicide. That's not what that means. Um, In fact, in a 2012 study, the only one exploring this phenomenon to date suggests this urge may have a relatively straightforward scientific explanation. Okay, let's see. So it says, what are some common examples? The call of the void is also known as high place phenomena or HPP, since people often feel it when they, when they are standing somewhere up high. You could also experience this type of impulse when doing other things that involve a high risk of danger. For example, call of the void can involve thoughts or urges to jerk the steering wheel and turn into oncoming traffic while driving. That one I've had. I don't know why, but I think it was like as a teenager, you're just like, huh, I wonder what what this thought is and I wonder what that thought is. And I remember having a thought that I wonder if I just keep going as fast as I can and I just drive straight off of the road and into this tree. And it's not like I wanted to do that. It was just a thought, but that thought is called the call of the void. And so another example is to jump into very deep water from a boat or a bridge. I mean, I've done that before, and I don't feel like it was a call of the void for me. Uh, Standing on a train or a subway tracks or jump in front of a train. Ha, don't do that. Yeah. Um, Cut yourself when holding a knife or another sharp object. Yeah, probably don't want to do that. Um, Put a metal object into an electrical outlet. Wow. Stick your finger into a fire or a garbage disposal. I can probably say I've had lots of these thoughts before and it's not because I really want to chop my hand off. It's just one of those things that's like, oh my gosh, what if this happened? Like it's a thought that's leading you into this experience that obviously I didn't want, but I was having that adventure in my head. So when these urges come up, you quickly like counter them with like, ha don't do that. Telling yourself that you should not do that. You know what would happen in any of those scenarios. You know that it's not going to end good, but you still think about doing it. However, quickly it passes and you just go on with your day. Is this normal? Yeah, this is normal. Um, it's very normal and very common. So the authors of that 2012 study found that among 431 students, more than half of those who reported never having any suicidal thoughts experienced a call of the void in some way, like imagining jumping or the urge to jump. Um, About three quarters of those who had previously experienced some kind of suicidal thoughts had also experienced the call of the void. And people with more sensitivity to anxiety symptoms, but fewer suicidal thoughts seemed more likely to experience the call of the void. So what causes it? (laughs) No one knows. Nope. Don't know. The authors of the first and only study so far uh, look at the call of the void and have offered a bit of insight. So after interviewing all of the students, um, they concluded that the call of the void is likely related to the wiring of your brain. So why does your brain go there? If you don't really want to hurt yourself, why would you imagine jumping? Well, that's where anxiety sensitivity can come in. And they found that people with higher anxiety sensitivity or fear of anxiety symptoms, they're more likely to have the call of the void. So when it comes down to it, you're most likely, you don't need to feel concerned about experiencing this. Uh, you're in good company with your friends and people. And a lot of people have the same thoughts and urges, uh, even if they don't even say it. It's just thoughts that happen. And in most cases, these 
thoughts don't have a serious meaning behind them. Um, They're just, it's not a mental health condition or a suicidal ideation when this happens without a lasting cause or in lasting distress. Um, But if you feel worried about it, um, consider what your reaction to these thoughts tell you. So by stepping away from a window or a ledge, by not turning your car into traffic and reassuring yourself you'd never do those things, you're acting on the desire to keep living. This is good. So if you feel like it might be something more don't ever feel bad about reaching out and getting professional help. Like there's nothing wrong with that. There would not be more than one human on this planet if we didn't need to help each other. Don't ever feel bad about needing help or talking to somebody. It's okay. We are here to help. Well, the void has pulled us into some really amazing, crazy, scary, beautiful, magical places today. I love this. I'm so much more uh, excited to try to find the void now. I used to be kind of scared of it because, you know, when you're a kid, you don't know what lies beyond. Maybe I still had these fears going on before I had overcome an understanding for certain things. I want to go back to the void. I mean, I think I go there a lot anyways. There's lots of places in my mind in a meditative state where I try to let go of everything and just feel calm and collect. So I know I've been there, but I want to go deeper into the void. (laughs) Let's see what happens because I know that I can always get out because I believe in love and I believe in light. And so I feel like I'll be okay. So... Why not? (laughs) Go for it. Well, I hope you guys have enjoyed the time that we have spent here together. I know that I've gone into some weird little caves today, but this is so exciting. I love talking about stuff that I'm learning from every single day. I want to learn something new every day. I want to have new thoughts and I want to have new experiences while I am here. And that's why I'm going to share them with you guys on the next Access Elysium podcast.